everybody. Is it warming up out there? No. <laughs> Man, it's, uh, it was like minus one this morning. It was kind of chilly. But uh, 2015, are you ready? It's kind of hard to believe it. I just shake my head. It's like, where do these years go? And uh, we're in 2015, and it just blows my mind. I Even for this outline, we send our outlines in like on the Monday before the weekend all finalized. And, and I put 14. At the end, instead of 15, so I had to go change it. So I've already, already failed this year, and uh, <laughs> so I guess I'll just have to get used to it. But it is great to see you. Thanks for being here. I, uh, <clears throat> I don't think you can hear it a lot in my voice now. I'm feeling pretty good, but I, I kind of woke up yesterday with this crazy cold that's going on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not the flu portion, thank God, or I wouldn't be here. But um, so Bonnie, my wife, just kind of got me all loaded up. With stuff and sent me out the door and said, go get them. So I'm feeling really good. But, but I have no idea what I might say. That's the problem. So, so give me some grace if I say something too crazy today. Hey, I just want to tell you, we've hired a campus pastor in Windsor. We're very excited about that. And uh, John and Kirsten Mel, great people. They're going to be here uh, the first week of February. And we've uh, already told the Windsor campus, and they're doing great, and they're excited. But keep them in your prayers. It's a big adjustment to go through something like this, and I know that would mean a lot, a lot to them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about next three weeks, kind of a kickoff, not really doing state of the church, because I don't want to talk a whole lot about things we've done or are doing, but I do want to talk about vision, where God is calling us to go, and I want to really kind of drill down into our personal lives, with our personal stories. I think, I think this is going to be a fascinating year for a lot of reasons. I've called this message Overcome, because being able to overcome is what the Apostle Saul, Apostle Paul, previously called Saul, did with his life. And I'm just going to take a look over the next three weeks at kind of his life and how he did it. But the first question is, um, how many of you usually make some New Year's resolutions or goals, whether you write them down or not, you, in your mind? Uh, uh, quite a few of you do. I, I love doing this because no matter, no matter what happens in 2015, I love the fact, even though I know it's really just another week, when we switch out 2014 and we move into a new year, I feel like I'm opening a brand new book and I get, I get this chance at this clean slate to kind of muck it all up and put what I want on there. And I look forward to that. And so I started reading about people who set goals and kind of the top ten goals. And I won't read through all of them. But on the list definitely is getting into shape. Anyone want to get in better shape this year? Okay, more of you than that should have raised your hand. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, that, that's, that's always a good goal. How about eating better? Just being more conscientious. Any, anybody with financial goals? You know, paying off debt, saving... There's a lot of financial goals this year out there. By the way, that fourth one down in your, in your program today, Financial Peace University, if you have not been to that, and there's, there's hundreds of people in our church who have, and it's impacted their world. And it's a huge, it's a wonderful program. Uh, so sign up and get in there if you have some financial goals. I, I love the fact that we're going to talk about this guy today named Saul. His name is changed in Scripture to Paul. And as a kid, that really used to trip me up. So I just want to make it really clear to everybody. He's going to be called Saul today, and he's going to be called Paul next week. But it's the same guy. How many of you can handle that? Okay. I just want to make sure. 
The first thing I want you to write down in your outline if you're taking notes is this. God has a plan. God has a plan. You are not an accident. You're not a mistake. The Bible even talks about forming you and knowing you in the womb. And when I think about the reality of that, I can't quite get my head around it. But I'm going to trust that God has a plan for my life. And my life has been being lived out, trying to walk in parallel with God's plan and what He has for my life. I don't always get it right. I know there's sometimes when His line is going like this, and I'm like... But, but that's, that's what life is. We don't, we don't have it all perfect. And we learn from our mistakes. And so as long as I want to keep on track and I know he has a plan, I want you to believe that he has a plan that best utilizes and spins your life. And he gets the stuff you don't get. And he has plans when you don't think he has any. In Paul's case, Saul's place, it says this in verse 1 of Acts 9. If you have a Bible, verse by verse. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. He's a bad guy. So he went to the high priest, requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That would be any believers that Jesus was the Messiah that he found there in Damascus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. Yeah, can you imagine being a part of this? Crazy. For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. Here's this independent, stubborn guy who needs to be handheld as he walked to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. This is, this is one of those crazy stories in the Bible. This is like God intervening or interrupting someone's life. To our knowledge, even after he's called Paul and plants churches, the book of Acts is largely about him. A lot of the letters written to the churches are written by him. He, he doesn't really go back and explain that he was on a search for God when this happened. You follow me on that? He's not waking up every day saying, God, if you're really real, show me that you're really real. There's nothing that indicates that. He's sick of Christians. He doesn't want to be a part of it. And he's arresting them and taking them off to jail. So, so does God just wake up one day and go, I think I'll go after that guy. What does God see in a Saul that makes him do this as radical as it is? God's never done that that I know of in my life. I've never been knocked down and seen a light and heard a voice from heaven. God saw something in Saul, and God wanted God's plan to be fulfilled in Saul's life. This is critically important for us. God can get your attention if He wants to. Do you believe that? He can. And, and sometimes He doesn't go to these extremes. I'm kind of glad He doesn't uh, in my life. But He can. And here's what I think. I believe that God saw the intent 
of Saul's heart, and he saw a man who was 100% committed, and he was all in to the mission that he was on. Whether it was evil or whether it was good, this was a committed guy. And I think God is looking for people who will live with commitments, that, that their promises will remain, that they will live and do what they say they will do, and that gets God's attention. And God said, I want this guy on my team, and I'm going after him. And he did. And it worked. The second thing that is in your outline is that we sometimes got to let God use other people to speak into our lives. It's not just about me having this revelation from God, but it's about me being willing to listen to someone who God sends my way. And that means the opposite of that is true. You might be the messenger this year more than you ever have before. God might tap on your shoulder like he does Ananias. Let me just tell you the story and we'll read a part of it. There's this guy named Ananias who's not listed in Scripture yet. And he's never listed again until later on when Paul tells this story. He's just a no-name. And yet, God taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, I want you to go down to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. There's a guy named Saul there who's been blinded. And you're going to pray for him and he's going to receive his sight. And Ananias basically says, well, let me just read it. Verse 10, there's a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, notice this. Yes, Lord, he replied. Everybody say that. Yes, Lord. Say it one more time. Yes, Lord. I want you to get used to that. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now what does he say? (laughs) But, Lord, we go from yes, Lord, to but, Lord. That's so typical in our lives. I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done, the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. You know, I won't read any more of that, but he basically says, Ananias, you're going to go, you're going to pray for him, and it's all going to work out. How do I overcome this type of fear in my life when God really wants me to be a vessel in someone else's life? You know, one of the things that I'm praying for this year is just that that I would be a messenger, that you will be a messenger. You, You have influence in this community. I was praying for our vision for 2015 and 16 and some of the amazing stuff God has opened doors for for us as a church. And I started realizing that probably... Maybe not every, but, but it's, it's likely that pretty much just about every vocation known to man is represented at some level in our fellowship here at Timberline. And you have influence among people that I will never meet, never touch, never know. You have influence in your company. Some of you, electricians, plumbers, you're in people's homes that, that no one else is invited into. You get To see life through a perspective. What would happen if we viewed our lives as being the message and the messenger as we are invited into corporations and groups and board meetings and homes, into people's lives in our neighborhood as God opens that door? I'm telling you, that's what it's all about. And that's what I'm praying over us. And I want you to join me in that prayer. How did Ananias overcome that fear and take those steps of faith? You know, I just, just a couple things and then we'll move on. First of all, he really did hear from the Lord. That's, that's big. When do you hear from the Lord? Or do you hear from the Lord? 
Does God talk to you? I don't think this was normal. I think it was in a vision. It surprised Ananias. But, but he overcame that and he actually then faced his fear of the things he'd heard about Saul. And that's important because some of you this year, hear me, you're going to face some fears you never wanted to face. That's what 2015 is going to be about for you. And you're going to have to decide how you're going to handle it, how you're going to live through it, how you're going to overcome. Because overcoming is what we do. And it's what we need to do. And it can only happen with God's help. And then Ananias simply obeys God. The third thing in your outline is this. Knowing God should change the direction of our life. Now we have used the phrase around here. For the last couple of years, when our teaching team gets together and we plan series like Abraham coming up next month, it's going to be a blast. Lots of research goes into this. We started using a phrase a couple of years ago that went something like this. Sometimes in our culture, we see people who just add Jesus to their grocery cart. Have you heard us say that? I hope you have, because it's, it's a statement that basically says we kind of add enough of God to get us through our week. And when Saul comes to faith, it's not adding a little bit of God to his life. It is a 180. You know what a 180 is? 360 makes a perfect circle. You're going this way. A 180 is half of 360. Boom. I'm now going this way. And all of a sudden, I have a life change. How much of my life is changed because I've come to God? Verse 20. Immediately... Saul began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Here's a guy who now goes all in with the message that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, this is a complete turnaround. Let me just say a couple things about this. Most of us in this room, I, I have not had a complete turnaround in my life. I grew up in church. I became a Christian at a very young age. And I don't remember a big turnaround. You know, at seven, there's not a lot of things you need to change in your life when you come to faith. But some of you have radical. I talked to a gentleman after the last service who just came up and said, I have a 180 story. God plucked me up and showed me the truth, and I've walked with him ever since. I've had the privilege of praying with people up here and watching drugs and all kinds of stuff being laid out on this platform because they were done. They needed a change. They needed to walk out of here clean. And partnering and watching them stay clean and walk with God. That's a 180. But here's how God usually works. God usually puts these seeds of truth in us and we feel conviction about something going on in our life. And we have to receive that as from God and the Holy Spirit. And we have to want that process to take place in our lives. And it usually means that we listen and we bring along accountability partners to say, I need to make these changes and I need some help doing it. And this is a process that we are in. Um, you know, you're going to be tempted this year. Like, like if you're trying to eat better and like chips, aren't they great? <laughs> you know, but people, anything you read about them is just like wrong. It's like the devil. 
And, and you say, well, but I'm still going to eat some chips. You got your favorite TV show on and you're sitting there watching it going, chips would make this better. <laughs> right? So you go to the cabinet, you get the chips, you come back and, and you're tempted. And you, you've said you're not going to do this. You've said you're going to make a change. And you open the bag and you look in the chips, smell the chips. And your favorite TV show on, you're sitting on the couch and there's no one else to see. There's no one else around to hold you accountable. It's a wonderful moment of splurging. No one to say, but you told me to stop you when you grabbed that bag. Here's what you have to do. You have to make a change. You turn off the TV and eat some chips. Right? I'm kidding. Maybe that's a start. I don't know. Maybe that's a start. You know, I'll, t- I'll let you in a little secret. I haven't said this yet this weekend. See, my brain is just going crazy. But um, you know what I've done before? I've, and I'm not a huge chip fan, but when you buy chips, buy the biggest ones possible. Like look kind of through the window of the bag and make sure there's not any broken ones or be really careful with them. And then limit yourself to like 10 chips when you have chips. And what you do, if you, t- if you look in the bag, you can like pick the biggest ones and you set them on your tray, right? You set them out there. If it's broken, it's out. Get the big ones. Then you go back and you break them in half. You break them in half. And then you have 20. And if you're really hungry, you break them again. And you have 40. And so then you can watch your show and have 40 chips. It just feels so good in your spirit. You know, it just feels so good. Number four. Obeying God will cost us something. Obeying God's going to cost us something. We don't like this part. As a matter of fact, one of the truths, and I hope you know this and believe this about Timberline Church, is we are gracious, we have mercy, and we extend grace, but we teach the Bible. And the Bible does not agree with everything that our culture says is okay. And we have taken a stand, and we've taken hits for it. People have left our church because we have taken this stand. But this book is what transforms people's lives. And I want, I want you to be careful about your theology because it's, it's a scary position to be in. Right now, there's tons of people, and it's mostly in America, that have this prosperity gospel. What that means is you get God, and you're going to be healthy and rich for the rest of your life. You will not suffer. You will not pay the price. The reason this is primarily America is because most of the Christian church in the world suffers and pays a price. But we don't. And so it's easy to start grabbing all this prosperity and thinking that your life is going to never have a problem and an issue. I want to show you how Saul, who God has just brought out of the pit of hell and what he faces right away. Verse 23. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. That's pretty big. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, the angel of the Lord came and wiped them out with the sword. Doesn't say that, does it? Some of you are like, whoa. Some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Okay, I have a problem with this. Okay, I'm a logical thinker. God sends a bright light out of heaven, knocks Saul down, makes him blind, sends Ananias, all of this big super miracle story, and they find out there's a plot to kill him and God can't save him? 
God can't send his, 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 his angels down and just wipe them out and say, you're not messing with my boy Saul. But he doesn't. They hear about the plot. And here's these Christians running around at night going, okay, okay, get in the basket, get in the basket. Oh, I hear somebody, shh, shh, shh. Cover him up, cover him up. Get a rope, get him through, get him through. Come on, I want God to come guns blazing. I, I, I want him to take them out. That, isn't that how we want to do life? I have a problem, God. Come on. Take them out. But that's not going to happen this year for you. If God does, awesome. But chances are, you're going to have to use your brain. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to have the wisdom of God to make good decisions when the miraculous doesn't happen in your life. And that's good theology. And it's all throughout Scripture. God expects us to think. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I hope you heard that. I hope you heard that. God had the power to do it, but he didn't. Paul would face prison. He would face beatings. He would suffer for the message he was bringing to the world. Now, let's go to number five, because I want to spend a few moments on this. Saul overcomes rejection. This is tough, because look at everything he's been through. He's, he's come to faith. Ananias finally shows up to relieve him and give him some good news. And then he starts preaching the gospel, and they try to kill him for it. He's been through a lot. So he decides he's going to go to the people that he loves now and believes in, the church. Verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever tried to like convince somebody that you really have changed? I mean, this is sad. He comes into the place where acceptance should be the norm, the church. And they're like, we know who you are, and we don't trust you. And what does he have to say to prove it? You know, the three words we use when we don't believe someone has changed, we say, time will tell. Time will tell. Well, Saul needed some companions now. He faced rejection really well, and it's not easy to face rejection. I, uh, I'm thankful for Barnabas. Barnabas is about to show up in the story. And Barnabas, we, we did a, a whole message on Barnabas this year. Son of encouragement. The disciples nickname him Encourager. He comes out of nowhere. Verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Who, who's going to be the Barnabas among us? What, what happens if this church fills up with people like Barnabas? What happens if we become the encouragers in northern Colorado? What happens if the light of God is so strong that we start believing in people before they even believe in themselves? What happens if we say, show me what I need to do to make this happen, and I'll roll my sleeves up and make it happen? You know, let me give you a backstory. You know, people don't realize this in church, and sometimes what happens on weekends like this where sickness is going around, and lots of people are on vacation. So yesterday I get this text from John DeAnda, he's our Love Express's director. 
Oh, you won't believe this. Cameron, our worship director, you guys know Cam. Uh, he wakes up yesterday with a bad case of the flu. Can't even get out of bed. He's scheduled to lead worship all weekend. Mandy Potts is scheduled to be backup singer. Sick, can't even get out of bed. This is, this is yesterday. We have church that night. I wake up yesterday morning feeling horrible. I almost texted him back and said, find a preacher too. But I decided not to. <laughs> they call a guy named Dustin, who happened to sit right here uh, last night and today. He's in Phoenix on vacation with his family. They're coming home. Yesterday, they land at 3. Dustin, can you lead this weekend? <laughs> uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Can you do it? Yeah. Uh, we can land. I'll get up there. We'll go with the same set list. God will help us. I thought he did an amazing job. I thought this team did an amazing job. Why? Because someone rolled up his sleeves. When I asked Dustin last night after the service, I went up and I thanked him and I said, Buddy, you have no idea how big this is to give up your whole weekend for something you weren't even planning on doing. You know what he said to me? He said, Why? That's just what we do. That's just what we do. What if, what if that was the spirit that we all had? That's just what we do. God opens a door, and that's what we do. God gives us promise, and that's what we do. God says it's time, and that's what we do. And that has been the mark of this church. That has been what God does with Timberline. I can't wait to see what it's going to be in 2015 when he opens the door and we go, this is what we do. I know God has a plan, and I want you to be encouraged by it. Well... Let's not be afraid to step up. I want to, just, I want to just stop and ask before we move on to just this last thought, which will just take a minute. How do you face rejection? Rejection is a real issue in our culture. I started researching it, and all of us have felt it. I've kind of avoided the whole Facebook thing for a lot of reasons, and I tried it, and I was just overwhelmed. It seemed like just a, a way to disappoint people. Um, but... I know, and I know you can, you can do this thing called unfriend somebody. How many of you have been unfriended? Okay, come up and tell me why. I want to know why. What, see, there's a story behind that. What happened? I don't know, I don't know the details, but, but how, did, how does that feel to get a notice that says, I don't like you anymore, or whatever? That's just a small thing. Some of you have been blown away. Some people have, have been left behind in the dust. People have not been faithful to you. You've been betrayed. What does that feel like to be pushed off in rejection? You're going to have to make a decision about what you're going to do when you feel rejected because it's going to happen in your life. And I think this is a very important moment today. I'll just tell you four little things that I do when I feel rejected. Number one is I always try to step back and see the bigger picture. Because sometimes what rejection does is it puts a magnifying glass on the stuff you're staring at right in front of you. And it's all you see, it consumes you, it's all you think about, and your brain just goes there over and over and over and over. And it's like a puzzle that has no pieces. Step back and say, wait a minute, there's a bigger picture here. My life goes way beyond this. And I'm going to focus on some of that. The second thing I do is, if I need to, I retreat. And regroup. Just take, take a step back 
and have a little retreat, get with God and say, what piece of this is on my shoulders? Did I do something I need to clear up and make sure your side of the stick is clean? You've heard me say that before, but that's all you can do. The third thing I do is I learn from the pain of rejection. I always want to evaluate. I always want to go back into that feeling and say, what am I learning from this feeling that I have? Because it's a horrible feeling. And God, you show me some of the things that I need to learn from and how you could even use this situation in my life to make me a better leader, a better person, a better husband, a better father, whatever it is. And God will help you. But the last thing, number four, never give up. Never give up. I'm telling you, I don't care how much rejection you feel. If you give up, I'll tell you what will happen. You will lose your confidence. You will walk out of the plan of God. You will start being focused on these little things and resentment will grow. And all of a sudden, that, that stuff that starts consuming you and you'll think evil about that person and you'll find the worst about that person and you will not move on into the freedom that God has for you in the plan He has for you. I promise you that will happen. It's happened to millions of people around the world. And their life just gets whittled down to this horrible feeling of inadequacy and rejection and then resentment and even hate. There is a better way. I want to I wrap this up by the last thing on your page there is there's power in God's church. I love how this story ends. I love what's stated about the church. And it's like there's this little parenthesis at the end of all of what's happened to Saul, Ananias, Barnabas, all the characters in the story. And verse 31 says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. Note that. That's not phobia. I hate snakes fear. This is reverence fear. Look at the next sentence. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. See, we don't have a chance at health without the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you guys know how true that is? We can't just be better. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. It's fascinating to me. Pastors ask me sometimes, what are some of your growth goals at Timberline? And I'm like, you know what, we've never in our whole history, in 28 years since I've been here, we've never had a, a numerical growth goal. Really? That shocks me. I don't think there's anything wrong with growth goals for churches, but we've never had one. And I remember clear back on LeMay, some of you who are with us over there will remember me saying, when we, we've gone through some amazing growth spurts at Timberline, and that's typically how we do it. And I, I remember standing up one time and saying, look, we're going to add another service, here's why. And here's the plan. We're just going to love the people that God sends us. And that's what we've tried to do. And that's what happened here. The spirit of peace is addictive. People don't have that in the world. What are they going to feel when they walk in here in 2015? You know what my prayer is? I hope you'll jot this down in your mind and pray it with me every week. I'm praying that not one meeting time, not one of our weekend services for 52 weekends of the year will ever be wasted. But it will always mean something to that one person that God is targeting for that weekend. It's, it might be that one weekend that your kid comes. It might be that one weekend that someone in your neighborhood is willing to come to church with you. It might just be that one weekend. And I'm praying that we will be alert. You know, when you walk in here, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not putting on the game. It's about being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and how He's going to spend you today. It might just be opening a door for somebody. It might be a hello to someone who desperately needs it. But I want us to be that kind of a church. And I want us to overcome the obstacles that we're going to face. Because God is stronger and we can do it. I want to have that fear, that respect. It's fear enough to live with integrity and godly character. It's fear enough to stay pure in our minds and our hearts, our motives. It's fear enough to love and to be loved. It's fear enough to steward our gifts and abilities rather than keeping them to ourselves. There is a plan of God for your life. Stay in that journey. Let's pray. Lord, wow, what a story. Hard to even believe it, but I do. Thank you. Thank you for people who are here today who really need this encouragement that there is a plan for their life. We're all in a journey with you, whether we know it or not. Lord, maybe even for that one in this room that doesn't know you at all, let them know that you love them and you have a plan for their life. We want to be healthier as believers. I'm just going to poke around with your heads bowed for a minute. Would you just let the Holy Spirit poke around in your life? I think most of us kind of know the areas we're not that healthy in in our spiritual journey. This isn't about guilt. This is about overcoming. It's about saying, yes, Lord, I'm responding to your nudge. It's about running to that nudge instead of running away from it. And that's where our mistake is made most of the time is we're so paranoid to deal with it. We just keep ignoring it. It gets worse. I want you to open your heart and run to that nudge of the Spirit, that conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's not shame. It's an invitation. God loves you. Accept that invitation. Let Him in. Let Him talk to you. Just say yes right now to the area of your life where you know He's dealing. Lord, we say yes. We open our heart to you. It's true. Some of you need to overcome an obstacle, an addiction, a relationship, resentment. Maybe it's that rejection. I'm going to pray over you right now. There's something like that in your life. It's just a barrier. You're just sick of it. Just a barrier that keeps holding you back. Just slip up your hand to God, would you? Let me pray over you. Lord, thank you for these who are just saying, I want to walk through this. They're in this journey, and they don't want to get stuck here. And we as a church rally around them, and we pray for them. We ask you to be strong in them. Let them have insight they've never had. Give them wisdom, and give them decisiveness. I just pray, God, that you will help them to walk in that truth and in the fear of the Lord, that healthy respect of who you are in their lives. I thank you for it, Lord. And finally, I just want to pray over those of you that would say, I'll be Barnabas. I want to lead others. I'm not afraid. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to step out. This could be the year for some of you to really come out of your shell in in your purpose for life and the call of God on your life. The stuff that maybe you've been having on a shelf and God's saying, nope, this is the year. And he might press you. What What if there's a light that shines down from heaven and knocks you down? And that might not mean literally. God even uses circumstances that happen in our lives to get our attention. But I want you to trust Him when that happens and be an overcomer. Lord, I pray for that. 
find pleasure in us for the glory of God. And everybody said amen. So be it. So be it. I love you guys. Proud of you. It's fun to partner with you. Let's have the best year we've ever known, individually and as a church. Ushers, come. Guys, thanks for giving. If you're a guest with us at Timberline, we don't expect you to give today uh, because of the generosity of the people who have caught the vision of Timberline and give through Timberline. We were able to make an amazing difference in 2014, our greatest year ever financially. And I'm thankful for your faithfulness in that. We support a lot of ministries that are making a difference in the world. So you enable us to do that. God bless you and your faithfulness in giving. Drop the connection card in if you're a guest at this time. We're going to sing a song that's really simple, but it says a lot. And I want it to just kind of be a breathe it in moment before we walk out of here. So don't just use this time to check out. Really focus and say these words to the Lord.